0: Welcome to the Missio Day Podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as He makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodachicago.com. So, as you know, if you've been with us throughout this series, in addition to teaching from the words and the posture of Jesus about prayer, we also have been trying to equip. One another as the church for different prayer practices so every week we've had a different prayer card and we've got remnants of all the weeks plus this week's card up front when you come up to take uh, to receive communion later on in the morning. This week, the practice that we're talking about is Lectio Divina, which is praying into Scripture. And there's steps here, and the goal is that you take one section of Scripture and you follow these steps and sort of allow yourself to go deeply in to the Scripture and, and praying it and sitting in it and allowing God to ignite something in your heart. This week, specifically, as we wrap up this series um, on prayer, we're going to be in John 17. I encourage you to use that passage this week. Allow it, take this card, uh, have. Your Bible app read it to you while you're on your commute Uh, read it yourself from whichever translations you choose Um, And and practice this try this different prayer practice because as we get uh, Allow the scripture to not just pass by on a checklist of our um, Daily devotional reading it really can allow something more deep to come out in your time with the Lord as you uh, As you pray using this practice so as I said We've been deeply looking at the life of Jesus and specifically his prayer life, what he taught on prayer and how he practiced prayer. And what we see throughout the life of Jesus in his prayer life uh, during his earthly ministry was incredible passion and commitment and obedience and expectancy as he was in prayer. And we want that same posture for ourselves to be fanned to flame as people of prayer. We remember through all of this that Jesus' passion for prayer came from passion for his relationship with the Father. That's what he was investing in. The passion came for relationship, and prayer fosters relationship. I love this quote from N.T. Wright in his book, The Lord and His Prayer. He writes this, Whenever we pray, this is what we're coming to do, to pursue the mystery, to listen and respond to the voice we thought we just heard to follow the light which beckons around the next corner, to lay hold of the love of God which has somehow already laid hold of us. Prayer is an incredibly relational investment in our part, and we want to encourage more and more of that. So today, we have a moment to set the scene as we read Jesus' prayer to the Father, then over the disciples, and then even over us. But before we get to this, as recorded in John 17, we want to set a scene a little bit and allow ourselves to enter into being under this prayer in its original context. So imagine that you just were in the upper room with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. Pick which one. Put yourself in that scene. Jesus has just done this thing where he took the towel or the cloth from around his own waist and he got on his knees and he washed your dirty, grimy feet. And he told you, you should do this too. Serve one another, love one another. He allowed Judas in this moment to leave. He gave him permission to go and do what Judas was going to do, which was betray Jesus. And then he predicted to Peter, you say you're gonna follow me anywhere before the night is over. You're gonna deny me three times. You're getting the sense that something is happening. And then we head in the gospel of John to this amazing discourse that John has recorded. It's like this this culmination of events is, is happening. You get the sense something's coming up and then Jesus starts to just teach these deep, deep truths. He says in John 13, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. Imagine you don't already know how the story unfolds. How would you be feeling in this moment hearing these words? Then he starts saying things like this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And he, you're walking alongside of him at some point in this discourse, and we don't have exactly the details of when, they go as a group in the night, in the quiet, relative quiet. They have to get from the city of Jerusalem, which is full for Passover, out towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And in order to do that, they go out of this upper room and they travel around to where would be the Kendron Valley where there's this low brook and then up towards the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. So at some point in this discourse, they're moving through the night, walking alongside each other as they've done so many times before, listening to the teaching of Jesus along the way between towns and things. So here we go. And Jesus says things like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He teaches them, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you an advocate, the Holy Spirit. He starts teaching big truths that they cannot yet understand about this Holy Spirit who will come. Jesus says, obey my teaching, and we, we will make our home in you. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Remain in me. Remain in my love. You're walking along, and Jesus is just pouring out deep, divine truth, triune truth, that I don't know if your mind could totally grasp yet, but you're listening to these words, and he closes the discourse with this. I've told you all of this so you may have peace in me, but here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world That's where he's walking to right now, is to the crucifixion and to the eventual uh, evil and death being put upon him. And then, of course, the resurrection and eventually the ascension. They know none of this now. They just know that Jesus is talking some big, deep news, and they're holding on to all of it to see what is coming next. And then Jesus turns to prayer. And you, as one of the 12, sit under his prayer with him. Imagine you're actually hearing this. You're receiving this prayer as well. So we're going to go through um, this prayer and allow it to teach us and then press in on one point in particular. So you're hearing this prayer. You're allowing it to be prayed over you, but you're also, remember, still learning from Jesus, from his posture, from his demonstration of prayer. If Jesus is praying this prayer... These must be important things to pray into. And so you're just got downloaded deep truths. And then Jesus starts to prayer and starts with God and mission to bring glory to God. Jesus says this, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I feel in that last sentence, there's a little hint of the faithfulness, right? I've done the task we planned, God. Now, Your will be done. Let's do this thing. I'm on board. We're going for your glory. It's time, God. I'm ready. And then he goes on. I've revealed to you the ones you gave me from this world. So I've revealed you. They now know God, right? I've done this task I was supposed to do. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me they accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. Basically, God Father, these disciples are equipped and ready for the big plan that we've been planning to bring your glory to everyone. I've done the part to get them ready. He speaks of glory a lot in the beginning of this prayer and we can think it harkens back to the moment early on in the Gospel of John where the disciples were able to see God's glory in Jesus. I'll read it here from in the NLT. Where is it? 114. It says this: So the word Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we, his disciples witnessing have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You remember that moment back in Exodus we've talked about a few times where Moses got to sit with God face to face and reflected his glory. He radiated with the very glory of God. And now they've seen God's glory in Jesus. They have witnessed it. And it's because his character is such that they can see you're reflecting God's own glory. Jesus goes on and says, my prayer is not, oh, I'm sorry, really quick. So we're talking about the glory of God seen in Jesus. And now we switch from praying to the Father to now pray for these disciples, the ones who he's just said, they're ready. They know what's up now and they're ready to go. But he now prays for them. And the focus in this first part is in God's name. Remember, we talked about that in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. They reveal, the, the, um, The name here, meaning like your character, your very identity, all of that will in that holy name, will you protect them? Because they're going out to do this thing. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now, I am departing from the world. They're staying in this world. We'll get back to that. But I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. This name is the character, the integrity, the very essence of God. This is what protects them. I guarded them so no one was lost except the one headed for destruction as scripture foretold. So in the power of your hallowed name, protect them. This reminds us of that prayer at the end of the Lord's Prayer, right? This recognition like... There's gonna be spiritual battle. This is gonna be tough. Lord, protect them, protect them. And remember, he just had said before the prayer, uh, you can have peace in me because here on earth you will have trials. Jesus knows this is coming and says, in your hallowed name, protect them for the mission that they're on. So notice, Jesus is leaving the world, but the disciples are staying in it. We wanna talk about this for a minute. Sometimes Christians will talk about being in this world, but not of it. What does that mean? Francis Maloney, the book here, it reminds us, it does not mean the disciples form some other worldly enclave. It doesn't mean retreat among yourselves while you're stuck in this nasty world. I'm going away, be safe while you're still here. Not at all. It's saying through the power of God's holy name, protect them to be living reflections of us right here in this world where they are until we're joined together again. It doesn't mean another worldly enclave. It's not separation from the situation of the world, but that the Father would protect them by the power of the Father's name in the reality of staying in this world and being many reflections of God in this space. So this statement is about separation of values, not separation of geography. You remember Israel was meant in the Old Testament to be a nation set apart, but time and again they failed to do that when they were brought up against pagan nations and pagan practices. They felt a temptation and they weren't set apart from the culture around them. And so Jesus is now praying for the strength for the task of being set apart, but now look at what it's based on. It's not based on a group of laws for humans or for priests to uphold. It's set on the fact that they've been united with God through Jesus, and now there's a new power that will allow them the strength and the perseverance to do the set-apart thing, to do the reflect-your-God thing right here in the world among the nations. This is covenant-equipping now, through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we have now, the advocate because of Jesus. So this is not Jesus abandoning the disciples at all, but rather wanting to sweep them in to the very unity that he has with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sweep the disciples in to the unity of triune life. That's what this prayer is. Now in verse 13, Jesus goes on. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. This is our point of emphasis here. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. And just as a note, he's already taught them, but like that ongoing teaching, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I will send an advocate. They will continue to be equipped for what's needed. It's not just you had your lesson, now go and good luck. We see that more in the book of Acts. Next series, we'll continue on with that. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And so now Jesus makes a switch here And this is beautiful because in our minds, we've been sitting under this prayer as a disciple. You just got prayed for by Jesus to the Father, held in prayer, but now he prays for the future. And that includes us here today for all who will believe because of the disciples' witness and who will share that mission of bringing glory to God's name. In verse 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for the ones who will ever believe in me through their message I pray that they, us, all will be one, just as you and I, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. So this is the cycle, right? God sent the Son, who completed the mission, prepped the disciples, and sent the disciples. Prayed for protection for them as they go and tell the same news to others, and the cycle continues. All of this cycle is to bring glory to God through the witness of Jesus as Lord, and now the ability to be swept into the triune love and life. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity, so that the world will know you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. We're going to press in a bit here. Unity. May they enjoy such unity so that the purpose still is there for mission. The world will know you sent me and loved them as much as you loved me. That's a big statement in and of itself. Unity, but with a purpose. Love for God and love for one another expressed in unity. Unity for the church is a testimony of God's own love relationship towards the Son. Such unity as we have known. Unity fosters mission, which is to bring glory to God. In the immediate, this unity was to protect the disciples from the imminent threats that they were about to walk into as they were put under threat, as they were watching the crucifixion, as there was danger of them scattering in despair, as they were coming back together in faith, waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to, all of that, keep them unified. This is gonna be a crazy couple of days. Keep them unified in the chaos of the next few days but also for believers to have victory in continuing conflict with the world. We were included in this prayer of Jesus. We have to remember the early readers of the Gospel of John would have been feeling this. First, we put ourselves in the footsteps, uh, foot. Uh, sandals, whatever, of the early disciples. Next, think about, you're hearing this gospel of John this as the early church now, and you're experiencing this in a different way. Wow, those three days, those must have been chaos, and we needed to be unified. But now we're sitting there as faithful Jews turned Christians and ex-pagan Gentiles turned Christian, trying to figure out what in the world does unity look like now? Because we still have a mission, but we kind of don't get each other, but we're trying. So unity to this call in this moment of the first readers of the Gospel of John would have been really, um, I don't know, tangible. You'd have felt it in really real ways. The way believers treat one another is an essential component of proclaiming Jesus to the world. Now Maloney again states this, the unity among believers is not an end in itself. It is so that the world may believe you sent me, so that the world will believe the message, not just so this community sits around and can sing Kumbaya without fighting. It's more than that. It's for a purpose. The missionary chain runs on unendingly. Jesus loving his own is not for their comfort and encouragement, although that's lovely. It inevitably leads to mission, matching his mission, to make God known to bring glory to God. So Jesus closes this prayer in a way that sweeps far beyond the time and the space of that walk through that valley, and far beyond that immediate group of 12. We feel it tangibly for the early church, but very much so still for us today. Remember, in, Jesus had said earlier in the discourse, John 13, 34 to 35, he says this, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world, to this mission focus, that you are my disciples. Love for God and others will inevitably express itself in unity with God and others, okay? So love one another, love for God and others will inevitably express itself in unity with God and others, but that is no easy task. In case you didn't notice, there is disunity everywhere right now. There is so much to disagree about. Let's start within the church, We can start really easy with Catholics versus Protestants. There's some really important stuff that these groups who love Jesus don't agree on. The treatment of the elements of the Lord's table There have been denominations split and uh, we in seminary had this one tree of the Protestant denominations and their family tree and how it all happened. And it was insane to see how many things, these are important things, they matter. But there's disunity within the church on how the elements should be seen. Uh, Infant versus believer baptism. Women in ministry. Biblical view of marriage. Marriage. Within the church, important stuff that the church doesn't agree with. But then, in case that isn't stressing us out enough, we go into the world as Christians. Is it okay to spank our kids or not? You're going to get some passionate answers about that. Is it okay for a Christian to smoke pot in Illinois now that it's legal? How do we engage with marijuana? How do we engage with critical race theory in our our education? How do we engage with emerging gender identities that we never even thought about? How do we engage with, what do we think about troops in Afghanistan? What do we think about this? Can you feel your blood being like, this is going to not be fun at all? How about masks? That's a fun one. How about vaccines? How about the science or lack thereof behind COVID? How about the political decisions being made in different towns and in this country about COVID or around the world? Do you have a couple of opinions coming up in you about all of this stuff? We care a lot about all of these things. How do we engage with the disunity that our world is bringing us when we are looking at this prayer where Jesus clearly is praying for unity? If you sit with anyone, no matter how much you love them for long enough, another Christian, you will find discord. I think of this even with Andy. Andy and I are very like-minded. And yet, when we're talking about things, we have come to places where we just are like, we do not agree on certain things. And we, as a married couple, have made a covenant promise under God to maintain unity, to put unity at the top. And we sit there as husband and wife and brother and sister in Christ, disunified on one of these subjects. It does happen. I use that example because that discord is is real. And the marriage commitment is actually used as a biblical analogy for the church, right? We're the bridegroom of Christ. If we are in that kind of like marriage together as a church, as one body, Right, Andy and you are committed under God to be one flesh. Well, we as a church are committed to be one body. That's a commitment to unity. And if we sit here with a brother or sister in Christ, we're gonna find discord on one of those things I just listed, or like eight of them maybe. It's going to happen. So marriage is just an analogy. So think about this. Ephesians 2, 14 to 16, Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, there's that language again, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death is it really? Are you sure about that? It doesn't feel that way at all right now, does it? But Jesus is praying right now at the right hand of the Father, praying over us for unity for his bride. What do you do about that? Okay, before you start squirming with all those things that I listed, I have a commitment to you. I will teach on biblical matters, theological matters. I will give No political viewpoints. I will give no medical advice. I'm not a doctor, not a politician, not a scientist. My goal here in bringing up this group of hot-button topics is to teach us in very real ways as the church how to engage with the words of Scripture in the reality of the science and the politics and all of that. So I will encourage us about how to look at political or medical or whatever else situations through a Christ-following biblical lens. So let's get real. How do we as Christians engage in discord while still sitting under these words of Jesus for unity for his bride and taking his words seriously? How do we do that call to unity? Before I say what I would like to share for how to do it, it's very important that I say what I am not, not saying. Okay, here are some things that should be warning flags for your ears when somebody comes, especially with a microphone, and talks about unity. Number one, a call to unity never means we turn our eyes to sin in the guise of keeping peace. That is false peace. Sin is sin. And Christians, Christ followers, are able to call it out in love, longing for restoration, because there's nothing that can't be forgiven once it's recognized and confessed to Christ Jesus. If you're saying, or if somebody is saying, well, don't go there, it would break the unity. But the the there has anything to do with racism, sexism, human trafficking, taking life, greed, lust, adultery, lying, if you can name it, and you know, no, that's sin. Me calling out the unhealthy path you're on towards adultery is not causing disunity. That's me wanting to bring you back. I'll consider the log in my own eye first in love, but I love you. God loves you. This is not the right path. Sin is a separate conversation than what we're talking about right now. To avoid sin in the name of unity is false peace, and that's not what we're talking about. Number two, This is a fun one for me to talk about. The call to unity has sometimes been biblically misused in the leadership of church to have people fall into line, and that is never okay. Here's what I mean. If it is a tactic to keep voices quiet against corruption or abuse from church leaders or to stop other voices that might have other ideas, that's not okay. You don't, that's not what we're using to call for unity. We can't ask churchgoers to overlook uh, sins or bad um, uh, temperaments of church leaders in the name of unity. These need to be confronted. And I'll be the first to say that. I was talking with my friend Sarah yesterday. My seminary sisters are here. They're all awesome and you should meet them after church sarah is an advocate and she was talking about and actually reading me an email from a pastor that basically said i'm very upset that you didn't like my idea you can say what you want but i expect unity and that it will work out by next weekend i'm paraphrasing that, no 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 that's not unity that's hey fall into line and that's not an okay thing If somebody in church leadership is misusing funds, bullying or demeaning, lashing out in meetings, there are always places in our structure to go to talk to somebody else. If there's somebody who's saying, don't bring it up that I yelled at you, Rachel, in that meeting and I flew off the handle, don't tell anybody it might cause disunity, there's always people to go to. We have other elders, we have pastors in our other congregation, go. Don't don't let anybody get away with that in the name of unity. Okay, okay that make sense? That was number two. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about fall in line and don't use your voice, which brings us to number three. The call to unity does not mean you should keep your mouth shut if you disagree about something. Share your thoughts. Share your vantage point. Your embodied experience, your heart, your mind, your story has brought you to the place on whatever you believe in these things, matters of politics, medicine, education, even theology, science, all of it. Honor each other and the journey you both took to get there, and remember that that's a real embodied life story that brought them to that place. That is honor. So I'm not saying just shush, don't talk about that, because it might cause disunity. It's not that. Bring yourself. So now, that's what I'm not talking about. What do we do with this discord? So I asked Merck a favor. This is above and beyond the call of, duty of a worship leader. But I was on the phone earlier this week with another seminary sister who lives uh, in a whole other part of the country. And she was saying how she just didn't feel safe going out into this world right now with all the discord. And she was saying, I can't even find a time in the future where I think... It's going to even resolve. She was so sad and heartbroken because resolution looked nowhere in sight. And as we were talking, I was thinking about this um, thing that happens in music, right? You know when a chord is just wrong? So I called Merk up. And I was like, Mark, you know an chord is just wrong? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna try to do this tangibly in a, like a visceral experience, visceral, is that eyes? Okay, audible, audible moments. You can feel that feeling that I'm talking about when you're living with a chord that isn't resolved. So when you start out in your faith journey or in a time of peace among your church community and everything's going great, it can be sort of think of it as a lovely song. Aren't we all having a lovely time and singing kumbaya? And that's really great when those moments are happening. But as you go deeper into your walk with Jesus, you get to the question marks. And you suddenly think, oh, this isn't all exactly as clear and as lovey-dovey perfect as I was hoping it was going to be, a little bit of dissonance. But then you get to a moment like where we are now with those things that I listed and suddenly you're standing with other Christians and you're like, this chord is not okay. But I know the song, I remember the song. I feel like this chord just needs to tweak and resolve and it will, but there's tension while we wait while we wait for the resolution to come, but resolution will come. Merck's awesome. But that's that moment, you know, but you know when you're sitting and the song hasn't resolved the chord and you're kind of almost on your tiptoes like, and kind of tweaked up a little, like you're just fall back in, fall back into where you're supposed to come. I feel like we know that feeling and that discord especially because as Christ followers, we have eternity written on our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11, we know there's more to come. We know there is resolution. And by God's grace, we hope that discord in a moment can come in kingdom pocket moments in breaking now, but some of it, guys, some of it won't. There's gonna be pockets of discord and we're gonna to have to sit under that cord that's not quite right and sit under this prayer of Jesus for unity. And that's a really hard thing to do that with that cord that's making you tweak a little bit. What does it look like to sit under the prayer of Jesus for us and receive this prayer? So I listed a whole bunch of really like hot button things. I'm choosing to pick something as the example now that hopefully isn't as hot button. But even if it's hot for you, like I honor that, your story made it hot for you. It's can adults ride bicycles on the sidewalk? That might be a big one for you. It's not for me. I don't have an opinion. So that's why I picked it. I I can't accidentally let my thoughts leak out. I get it both ways, right? It feels safer for the biker. I don't like riding where someone could open their door on the street, but then like it's hard for pedestrians. Like I get it really both ways. So I have no opinion on this one. Bikes on the sidewalk. This is what we're talking about. Let's say we're talking and you care passionately on one way and I care passionately the other. And this is a really big deal to us. And the discord, we're feeling it between it. And the the enemy, I truly believe this, the enemy would want to take bikes on the sidewalk and move that into the central thing between us. It would take bikes and put them central, so much so that we can no longer see the other person on the issue because this is what is centered between us. It's so big and elevated. But that's not true. Central between us is the centrality of Jesus. Bikes and safety are a big deal. We care a lot, and that matters that we care a lot, but Jesus has to maintain centrality between us. Bikes cannot move to the center. We can say, I don't agree on this. I care a lot, and you and I don't agree. Can we agree to the centrality of Jesus can we agree to not let the enemy move bikes to the center? Can we agree to center Jesus? We may grieve that those bikes will cause a fracture with our friendship. We may never be able to ride bikes again, but we still can love Jesus. We still can love Jesus We have to also remember, so that's the first part, keep Jesus central. Don't let whatever those other subjects are, that's not central. Jesus is central. Commit to that. Remind each other of that. Second, remind each other, Jesus right now is praying for our unity. Can that change our posture? If he cares, we may not get there, this side of heaven, but we can both say to each other that Jesus cares about that. And then the other thing I would recommend, truly, because I want to be tactical with this. Discord right now is a really big thing. The other thing I would say is this. Commit in your heart or with your voice if you can to saying you are not the enemy, you who believe something different about bikes. The enemy is the one who has caused discord. The enemy is having so much fun with how much stuff Christians can disagree on and move into centrality right now. We have to fight against the schemes of the enemy to move anything else into centrality. And we have to be willing to say when we're standing there in discord with somebody, I don't agree with you, but you are not my enemy. The enemy caused caused the strife and the war in Afghanistan. The enemy caused the disease that makes masks or vaccines a topic of conversation. Death and division and all of that discord is a trick of the enemy. The Christian across from you is not the enemy. And if you can keep that in the centrality of Jesus, then I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can maintain a sense of unity for us and can intercede in that moment and in some way even if it's not a fully resolved chord we can get towards kingdom inbreaking and in the centrality of Jesus so i'm going to wrap up with this so i went to the lake because i was not having fun this week because i was making the list of all the things the different church denominations disagreed on I was making the list of all the things in the news that were causing discord, and I was feeling it. I'm an empathetic person. Like, I just had this list. And I was like, this list is too long, Jesus. So I walked into the lake, literally. I took my sermon notes in a bathing suit, and I walked into the lake, up to my waist, and I said, Jesus, this is a really tough assignment. And Jesus said, yes, but it's what I've asked my followers. I stood out in the water and I was facing out and I could see maybe like, this was midweek, so it wasn't everybody was there. And I could see a couple of boats out far out, but nothing else. And I just breathed for a little while. And the Lord reminded me, be faithful in the midst of discord. Be faithful in the midst of discord. It's my prayer that you would partake in triune unity. Your reflection of triune unity and love is not yet perfected. I ran back onto the beach and I wrote down this conversation in prayer. I really did. Your reflection of triune unity and love is not yet perfected in this broken world, but you do reflect us, and you are made in our image. It can be hard, and I am praying for you. And I ran back in, I scribbled down those words, and as I turned around from that place of breathing. I saw a beach full of people, the shallow water full of little kids laughing and playing, the people going around and selling soccer balls and cotton candy. And I looked and I saw the skyline and I was like, here we go into this big city that's feeling a lot of discord. And I was reminded of how Jesus took the same rhythms on his earthly ministry, he would retreat to solitude and prayer. Back to week one, we talked about this. Jesus went up to the mountaintop to pray. Jesus was alone to pray. He walked out where he could just breathe and be alone so he could turn back to the city and to the ministry that the Father had put in front of him by the power of the Holy Spirit Engage with the strength that was needed to stand in the discord in faithfulness and seek after unity. So what we're gonna do now is I'm gonna pray. Merck and Chloe are going to lead us um, in a time of worship as we consider what does it look like to sit under this prayer of Jesus when the fact is there is a lot of discord and we can't just put a happy face on it and pretend it's not, that's false peace. But we are empowered by the prayer of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to receive a call to a unity beyond that which we could ever achieve on our own. Lord Jesus, I confess that this prayer struck me as an awfully hard assignment this week. The discord is real. The resolution feels far off at times, but at other times in little pockets, I feel like I can hear the final beauty of the song that is still being written on our hearts and in our world. God, give us endurance, strength through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have invited us into triune participation of relationship with you. We say yes, Lord. We long for that. Help us when we falter. We need you how we need you. God, I pray that as we continue on in a time of response that we would be able to just hear your nudging Holy Spirit and be open and receptive to you, respond to that which you have brought to us. We love you, and we praise your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at misiodeschicago.com.